0: You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading,
1: dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey
0: into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please
1: be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get
0: started. Well hello everyone here we are for episode number 10 of the Together in Literacy podcast season one. We are super excited today because we have a very special guest Dr. Erica Warren who I will introduce in a few minutes but hi Casey. Hi everyone. (laughs) All right so uh, let's kick it off first with some feedback that we've gotten uh, from a listener, and we really, really appreciate the feedback that comes in. It puts a little wind in our sails, so we to love hearing from you. This one is from ALS, and it's called, Finally, there are some other podcasts about dyslexia, but I've been wishing for a long time that someone who is well-known and respected in the dyslexia practitioner's world would begin one. And it's finally happened. So thank you so much, ALS. Yes, we just uh, so appreciate hearing from our wonderful listeners. And if you want to let us know what you think, you can leave us a positive review and some feedback we may just share it on a future episode Absolutely. all right <laughs> so we got a question when we first started the podcast from a parent about memory and some i'm sorry was it a teacher or a parent i'm sorry i have to look back at my question ah it was a teacher, I apologize. And this person was working with some uh, younger students that had struggled with memory, had some questions about phonological memory, working memory. And so we just thought, you know what? We're just going to invite one of the best people we know to talk about working memory. And I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Erica Warren. Uh, You may know her. She has the educational materials through a business called Good Sensory Learning. And we'll make sure we link to all of her resources and website and so forth. Uh, She's been a presenter at Building Readers for Life, my summer virtual conference, and will be again this summer. Woohoo! And, uh, but Dr. Erica Warren is an educational therapist. She is an executive function coach, writer, artist, lives in New York. She's a blogger, a vlogger, podcaster. Yes, we will let you know about her podcast because it's amazing. She has tons of online multi-sensory materials at Good Sensory Learning. She has teacher training courses at her site Learning Specialist courses and she of course works one-on-one with students in her private practice learning to learn and she loves empowering students of all ages to maximize their learning potential and I just absolutely love speaking with Erica because every time I do we just have the best conversations and if you ever have the pleasure of just chatting with Erica you really are in for a treat so I Erica, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about working memory. Oh,
2: and thank you for such a lovely introduction, Emily. <laughs> really very sweet. Thank you. I'm happy to be her.
0: Yeah, yeah so we are going to... Talk a lot about working memory. And we're going to be linking to some articles and some helpful things. And Erica has some things to share as well. But we're just going to start with just asking some questions that we think are really helpful for uh, not just educators, but also for families. So, uh, Casey, take it away.
1: Well, Erica, it's so lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. As we are talking about working memory, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. So, I would love for you to just kind of give us an overview what is working memory in in your terms
2: well working memory is really a piece of executive functioning and so i really like to talk about it under that umbrella because i think executive functioning is a huge piece of learning and many individuals struggle with aspects of executive functioning And of course the working memory is one piece. So just to give you an overview, there are three parts of executive functioning. There's working memory, there's inhibitory control, and there's Mm -hmm. cognitive flexibility. So if we zoom into working memory, this is really a part of that executive functioning suite that enables us to hold information and manipulate information is probably The simplest way of of describing it. But it's actually quite a complex skill in the sense that initially, what we're doing is we're using our sensory input Mm -hmm. to bring in information into our immediate memory. And this is kind of held in the short term or conscious memory. And then our executive, some of our other executive functionings come into this, where we're then able to use. Two components of our mind, which is our inner eye or our inner visuals. And we use those to help us to mentally manipulate the information. So I think of it as almost like an arena where we're tapping into our visualization ability, we're tapping into our inner voice, and we're also dipping into long term memory. And we're using the prior information so that we can kind of make sense of what's going on in in the present moment. So it's, it's, it's really quite complex. And I particularly like Alan Baddeley's model. And he talks about the aspect of visualization as the visual spatial sketch pad. And he talks about the inner voice as the phonological loop. And he also brings in the episodic buffer, which is a nice little name for it because it's really that, that consciousness. Okay. It's, it, it's an episode. It's where you bring all of this information in and kind of digest it. So that's kind of the way that I see working memory. And it's very vital for the learning process. And I've I've seen many times in the research suggesting that it is the number one indicator of academic success.
1: Wow. Yeah. And I was reading and it was kind of talking about how we can look at working memory as a better predictor of academic outcomes? Is that something that kind of goes along with your work?
2: You know, I think that there are lots of things that can predict academic success. And I think it really depends on the individual. If they don't have a problem with working memory, it's, it's not gonna really trip them up, but if they do, it will. You know, I think all three aspects of executive functioning are critically important. And I think, you know, all of our students um, that we work with that are struggling with learning most likely are tripping up in one of those three areas. Again, the working memory, inhibitory control, and cognitive flexibility, Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to pull one out because it's not that simple. They all really work together as a symphony. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yeah. So um, I think it's important to strengthen and be mindful of all three of those because
1: they They have such an impact on cognition in general. Yeah. And it really is such a complex cognitive process. And as you said, they need to work in concert together in order for students to be able to access that information and and help them. So,
2: yeah. And it's, and it's like the foundation for all the, uh, uh, all the different ways of thinking for planning, time Mm -hmm. management, organization, really processing the information, so it is vitally important, but it's very interesting because we rarely are mindful about working specifically on those areas because they're a little elusive because we don't really understand them. And as much as I can say, I understand them. We really don't.
0: Mm.
2: We really don't. We, we we're kind of shooting in the dark. And, and I know that Alan Battley, you know, studied this for decades And, and then there's still people that don't quite agree with him and there are many different models out there. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to pick a model to me. It's like picking a metaphor because it's a, it's the metaphor that helps you hold on to what it is. Yeah. So you kind of have to pick your metaphor or your model and, and go with it. And, And then as you understand it and learn it and work with people, you can bring in different pieces. But to me, the, the major pieces are the inner eye and the inner voice and. And, and that's another thing we don't talk much about, but they're vital in the learning process.
0: Yeah, I like how your metaphor is the symphony and it's critical. And I think it's super important that you've put this adve- executive function piece sort of as the umbrella here yeah. and to look at working memory under that. And I think there's still so much to be learned about executive function and Teachers, to, I, I think they're really craving this knowledge. So that was a really, really great way to explain that and uh, the three parts. Okay, so, so say we, ha- we have a child that we suspect has weak working memory. And so what would you recommend as some of the assessments that would be appropriate to use to learn more about their working memory to discover where the weaknesses are?
2: I think, you know, talking to parents, I mean, I think you can do a lot qualitatively. Mm. So you can talk to parents and and ask them about how are your daughter's or your son's difficulties manifesting? What does it look like? Give me some examples of what they're struggling with. So if they're having a hard time, for example, following multi-step directions, oh, that's probably... A working memory is definitely a piece of it. it may not be the whole piece of it because there could be auditory processing issues going on. There's mm-hmm. so many, you know, and that's that's why I like to call it that kind of symphony because our our brain yeah. is like a symphony, and when it has all every different part of the brain is a is a different instrument, and, and and executive functioning is really the conductor. So I think there are screeners out there. I have a screener, a very affordable one um, at Good Sensory Learning but there's also one that pearson offers okay that's also it's but it's qualitative again it's it's asking those those key questions so as long as you understand what working memory is mm-hmm. it's a matter of breaking it down and asking those questions you know does your son or daughter can they visualize do they visualize do they do imaginary play do they have an inner voice what's well, so funny because we don't talk about this stuff yeah. So sometimes I'll say to a kid, I'll say, Do you have a voice in your head? And sometimes they'll say, like, yeah, it's talking all the time. And sometimes they're <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. So sometimes they're not even aware. And I have to say, with both inner eye and inner visualization, there's a massive continuum. Okay. So there are those kids that are really good at it and do it all the time. And no one ever taught them how, but they're just, it's their genius quality, right? And there are those kids that are just like inner, inner eye, inner visualizations. What, well, well, do you create a movie in your head? I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? And there are those kids that I, I used to call the blind mind's eye, but a friend of mine, Darius Namdron, we have a podcast together, mm. the personal brain trainer podcast. And he was like, you shouldn't really call it a blind mind's eye, call it a closed mind's eye. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. Because I definitely, it's one of the things that I do in my practice, which is I help kids to develop their inner eye and their, their capacity to visualize and their ability to visualize because it helps with executive functioning, right? Right. You know, everyone says, well, how do you teach, how do you teach kids to pay attention? That seems like so elusive. I can't do that. Visualization, visualization. If you're visualizing what you're learning about, you're paying attention, Right. So, if you have the, you can use your inner voice and your and your visualization to pay attention. Well, there you go. now we're we're teaching kids to use their working memory mm-hmm. to manage their learning by okay. by using those two amazing tools that we have that we never talk about.
1: Yeah, right. I, I love that, Erica, because I think that's such an important piece. I know if we're working with struggling readers, I will do explicit lessons where we talk about you have your reader voice. And a lot of times the kids think that's all that there is, but there's also a thinking voice, which is the visualization component you're talking about. Right. so having explicit instructions, you know, as educators, we can have these conversations and teach children that there should be something going on in our brain as we're reading. It's not just reading the words. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because some kids have one voice.
2: Some kids have many voices. Wow. (laughs) You know, and this is, this is the fun stuff. I love talking to kids about the inner voice Mm -hmm. and about inner visuals because they blow my mind Mm. because we don't talk about it. We don't really know how people do it. And we assume that we, that everybody does it the same way. Well, no, I can give you some amazing stories of one kid that was an artist. And I said, well, how do you draw? And he said, the way everybody draws, I was like, oh, really? How's that? And he said, well, you know, you project it on the page and then you trace it. I was like, you can do that.
1: And they're like, yeah.
2: And I was like, guess what? Most people can't do that. No, really? And it just goes to back to the, the point that we just always assume that everybody processes reality the same way. And we don't. So when you talk to kids about how they process reality, I had another kid and I said, can you visualize She said, oh yeah. I was like, oh, well, that sounds pretty confident. Tell me about that. She said, well, I can see a little boy in the corner of your office right now and he's bouncing a red ball. I -hmm. was like, really? She said, in fact, the only reason why I know it doesn't exist is I can't hear it. And I was like, what? You can do that? Really? And so she's like, yeah, I can bring anything into my reality. And I was like, so it's, wow. So it, it was almost like a hallucination. Yeah that she can bring into her reality at any time. Wow, how useful would that be? You're in the middle of a test and you could like do the science experiment Mm -hmm. right there in your mind. You know, whether it's your inner voice or your visualization, but just like we have the capacity to dream. And this is how I talk to my students. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You can dream and you can see things in your mind when you're dreaming, right? And Mm -hmm. 90 some percent will say yes. And then it's just a matter of teaching them to dream when they're awake. In Mm -hmm. essence, that's kind of what visualization is, or imaginary play. And Mm -hmm. who doesn't like that? But when we mature, we kind of shut down, or many people shut down that capacity, when in fact, it's the secret weapon to learning.
0: Wow. Visualization is so powerful. I think, especially with people with dyslexia, you know, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing someone who he was a carpenter, a skilled carpenter and had dyslexia and was trying to explain to me how he can visualize in three dimensional, in a three dimensional way to be able to construct these most incredible structures, just intricate staircases, just the, the photographs that he shared with me were just phenomenal. And I just speak, this is just speaking to you, what you're saying about visualization They're just, we're able, they are able to see things in ways that I really have no idea how that is, but I'm just always impressed when I hear people express that to me. I'm so
2: glad you brought that up because that's one of the things that I love about Badly's model. Mm. He talks about, it's not just the visual, sketch pad. It's the visual spatial sketch pad. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and it's interesting when I talk to kids. So for those kids that I've worked with that had a closed mind's eye, I've ne- never met a kid that didn't have the ability to spatialize. It's my own term. So I call it spatialization. Ooh, and it's like your that. ability to kind of imagine yourself moving through space, right? So unlike memory palaces. hmm So a memory palace is where you imagine yourself moving through a familiar space and you attach items to that familiar pathway that you go through in your mind and you can memorize things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of memory champions do that. So that is another area of cognition that we're not really using very much. And I love how he brought, he squeaked that in because I know that I could visualize really well when I was little. I'm Mm -hmm. dyslexic. Mm -hmm. I stopped visualizing because I didn't have the space to do it, lost the capacity and rediscovered it in my forties, which was really interesting. But I think a lot of kids with dyslexia, and let's go into that a little bit, struggle with visualization. Not that they don't have the capacity, it's that they don't have the cognitive space. So when they are reading, they are spending so much cognitive energy on decoding mm-hmm. that there's no room to visualize. Yeah. And that's why their comprehension goes plummeting. So what's really important is to develop a child's visualization capacity to, autom- to a point of automaticity okay. so that they do it automatically and it doesn't take up cognitive space. Got it. Right? So I think when I'm working with little kids that are struggling readers, it's just as important to develop their visualization capacity as it is to develop their decoding. So sometimes I'll have them listen to audiobooks. Okay. and you do one of two things. You either read along with it, which improves your whole word vocabulary, quick, easy, no expense, um, or you get them to close their eyes and create a movie in their head
0: right
2: and both of them are really really important because what great readers do is they unite those two they Mm -hmm. multitask but we can't multitask efficiently or well unless things have become automatic and just like when we brush our teeth in the beginning it took a lot of energy like all right i did that section i did this i did the top i did the bottom and am i holding the brush right and then eventually just it's automatic you just do it and you can do something else And I think when it comes to working with kids, particularly with dyslexia or any kind of, any kind of um, learning disability, it's a, it's a matter of building those core cognitive skills to automaticity, because whether they're reading, they're writing, or they're doing math, they all require multitasking. And if they are not automatic in any of those pieces, then it kind of falls apart.
1: Yeah, you know, it does. And I like how you talked about bringing that in right away, right? Like, so providing students with lessons and activities to bring that visualization piece in right away, instead of sometimes, you know, we may wait and talk about that later on after they've, you know, broken the reading code and they're, they're now reading. Um, But we can do that early on and right from the beginning. We can and guess
2: what? That's that's the sweet sauce. Mm -hmm. It's the game. It's the gamification. There are I have a whole publication on visualization games. Yeah, you know because there there's so many different things you can do and kids love that. They lap it up because it's so much fun. They love to use their imagination and when you can bring that piece back into the learning process, uh, you've got them. You've yeah. got them, I use it all the time and I use it for all subject matters. Visualization is just outstanding. And if you think about it, what, what does that enable us to do? Visualization is one of the most important memory strategies. Mm-hmm. So it enhances memory and it organizes memory also because how, how many times are we in a situation where we're a little bit stressed and we know something, but we can't access it? Yeah. Well, if we have a visual, it kind of organizes the information so that we can access it. Okay. It kind of brings
0: it all back together. So, I'm so yeah. I'm so glad you've stressed the visualization piece. I, I when I was a third grade teacher for many years before private practice, spent a great deal starting off the year with visualization and mm-hmm. helping them learn how to make that movie in their mind. And yeah. I just have so many fond memories of helping those third graders work through that strategy and see the importance of it and in, in everything that they did. So um, I just love that you really affirmed that. <laughs>
2: Mm -hmm. thank you thank you yeah Yeah, and there are many components and and I'm sure you I know you know this Emily yeah there's so many pieces to visualization you know Mm -hmm. are they are they really visualizing all those components you know there's color there's number right there's perspective like some kids are like oh perspective. I never thought about that. Am I looking down on it? Am I looking up on it? And when you, when you start to get really creative with your visualizations and you bring in even the other senses, like, what does it smell like? What does it feel like? All of a sudden visualizations become so much more vivid Mm. and potent. It's, I always tell my students that, you know, if you write down your dreams, they become more vivid it's the same thing when you're more mindful of your visualizations and you bring in some more of these pieces and the more we talk about it because I learn from my kids all the time. I'm like, well, how do you do that? You know, and sometimes the, it's, it's like a discovery process where you go in together like, oh, I do it this way. You do? Well, I do it this way. Ooh, can I try your way? Ooh, let's try my way, you know? And, and yeah. you can have so much fun. And even in Zoom sessions, Mm. You, can, you, can do, you can do all sorts of things with visualization because you've got the annotation tool. So sometimes right. we'll an, use the annotation tool to, or even a piece of paper on the respective tables, mine and theirs, and we'll do a drawing, a really simple drawing. And then you have to describe it so that the other person can draw it. Well, wow, that's working on so much of working memory. That's such a great working memory game. Right. right.
1: And it really pulls in the language components that we work on like describing, you know, that's all part of building language skills as well. That's a great way to connect the two in a meaningful way. And to making
0: sure that we're using it as a multi-sensory learning experience as well.
1: No, I, I love that. The listener had a question uh, and this, this comes up often when we're working with students who have phonological deficits. So the question was about if we have students who may know sounds in isolation, and yet when they are trying to blend them together, they seem to forget them, right? So it's, it's almost, they're having difficulty with that phonological memory component. Why, why do children with dyslexia struggle with that in terms of, of the working memory? Is there a linkage between that phonological memory and the working memory?
2: Um, I think, you know, every student is its own individual case. I think the biggest mistake that we can make are making generalizations. Mm -hmm. I've never met two kids that are similar. And if you can always look at it that way and let go of patterns, let go of patterns and go into exploratory mode. Explore, explore with a kid, talk to them and ask them. The kids know how they learn. And they have really creative ways of describing it. And I'll give you a really fun activity that you can do with children. And I did this once with, an, with one of my kids. So he came in, everyone was saying he's got writer's block. I was like, okay, he's got writer's block. And I said to him, I said, all right, all right. I want you to draw for me what it looks like when you get your writer's block, right? Let's draw mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and he did this amazing drawing, and it was really complex. And I looked at it, I'm like, "You don't have writer's block, you have writer's bottleneck." (laughs) All of these thoughts were coming into one little hole, right? Yeah, and and guess what? I would not help a kid with writer's block the same that I would help a kid with writer's bottleneck. They're two completely different things. One is that. Writer's block, you can't think of anything. Writer one is you're thinking of too much. (laughs) Too many
0: things. (laughs) Right?
2: Right? So, you know, bring out your artist hat. Bring out those tactile tools. Let kids show you how they learn. So, and that goes back to the assessment piece. You know, be creative with the assessment piece. Let them be themselves and let them show you how they think. And I think that is... A brilliant way of doing it. But if you do want to get more of a clinical way of how do I assess, I have a screener. Pearson has a screener called the Working Memory Rating Scale. But then, even okay. if you go back to the WISC or the WACE, which are intelligence scales, right? Digit span. Yeah. Digit right. span forward and back. Yeah. That's working memory. It's Got it. one piece of working memory, it's right. the inner voice. And technically you could use your inner visual to help you, mm-hmm. but if you want a kid to learn how to be better at that, you want to help them to access that inner voice and that inner visual. Yeah. Got so it. I wanted to loop back because I never quite answered the other question, So I <laughs> brought it yeah. back in.
1: And, and you know great. what, I love that you connected that to being like observing. Right. And so when we're talking about our, the orton Gillingham principles, right. It goes back to being diagnostic and prescriptive. And that's really where the art of the teaching comes in, right. Is it is looking at where the child is figuring out what's working, what's not working and how to help move them forward. And, and I know for Emily and I, or at least for myself, that's like my favorite, one of my favorite parts about teaching, because I get to really dive into how their brain is working and then figure out ways to help them. Right. I love the flexibility yeah. of the approach to being able to make those decisions based on what
0: you know was working best for the child at the time.
2: And what's so important is bring in their passion. Yes. Yeah. If they love Pokemon, then Pokemon should be a character in all of the lessons. Yes. You know, whatever they <laughs> love. Whatever <Right>? they love. <laughs> yeah. Whatever because that's 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 what will get you to You know, to the place where they will allow you to teach them. Mm -hmm. I I can remember I had a student, he wouldn't even pick up a pencil. He was so traumatized. He wouldn't pick up a pencil, but this was the one that liked Pokemon. But if I said to him, hey, why don't we go on to YouTube and find a really cool uh, art lesson on how to draw Pokemon? I had him in a second. (laughs) Next thing I know he's holding the pencil And next thing I know, we're both doing the drawing. It's like, why is yours better than mine? Oh, because I'm holding the pencil differently. Let me show you. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's amazing how you, they're putty in your hands when (laughs) Mm -hmm. you speak their language.
0: Right. Right. And I love how you really get into the hearts of these kids and can communicate with them on their level. I just, whenever I've spoken to you, I just learned something new about how you approach them. I just would love to be a fly on the wall in one of your lessons.
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty ridiculously fun. And I, tell, I love it. I tell my students that if you're not having fun, then I'm not doing my job.
0: Good. I love it so important Um, and we talked in previous episodes just this the critical importance of building relationships Mm -hmm. and uh, it's just so we can they can trust us we can make progress with them right get them to be successful so we our listeners are a combination we've got families we've got educators we've got people in private practice we've got tutors so many different people listening, which we are so grateful for. And so how would you, so if you're a classroom teacher and you're speaking to a group of classroom teachers, how would you explain working memory to them, I guess, in the classroom setting, some things that you might be noticing in the students, things like that?
2: Well, you know, I would probably go back to that metaphor of the conductor of cognitive skills. I think helping the kids understand what it is, is, you know, going, getting really rudimentary and having fun with it so that they can understand what working memory is. And we might say, well, well, that's, that's really complex. Working memory, inhibitory control, cognitive flexibility. Should they really know what that is? Yeah. Why not? So, you know, one of the things I just released a course on teaching kids executive functioning skills. Okay. And one of the things that I put into the course are coloring pages. Mm -hmm. So there's one for working memory. And so while they're learning about working memory, they can color it in and they can annotate, but it's all, you know, kind of like doodle notes Mm -hmm. where to make it a little bit more fun and where there is the conductor right? And there is the inner eye and there is the inner voice, but teaching them this language, because think about it. Are we able to do anything well that we don't understand? No, no, no. No. So, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of going into these complex things and and we can simplify them with metaphors, with imagery, with drawings, Mm -hmm. but even allowing kids to come up with their own metaphors. So there are many different ways you could think of executive functioning. It could be a symphony. It could be, I've heard people talk about air traffic controlling. It could be a, uh, a train conductor. It could be someone that's, that's directing the traffic. So there are many different things and, and letting them get really artistic with it and have fun with it and acting it out and stuff like that. Because again, when they really understand it, then they know how to use it. Yeah. So, you know, let, allowing, them, allowing them to understand the complexity. I'm telling you right now, there's nothing more complex than learning how to read. Oh, Executive I mean, functioning absolutely. is a piece of cake compared, <laughs> compared to <laughs> reading, right? Yeah. Right, right. Well, well, and so many of these kids actually are really analytical, these dyslexic kids, right. and they'll get it. They'll totally get it. They're like, "Wow, that's so cool! I can do that." Yeah, you yeah. can.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Casey and I had done an episode on you know how to how to talk to children about the brain, how the brain mm-hmm. works. Kids are thirsty for that. They really want to know what is going on in there, especially kids with dyslexia. I think too, like you know, because there's no, there's nothing wrong with your brain here. This is just the way things are working right now, and we can work on this strategy or this pathway to help help you get there and, and help you become successful with reading. But and just, I think knowing how to communicate, you know, all those three areas of executive function and, and memory, I think so, so helpful. And kids really, they do, they do want to learn about that. And I think you've made a very good point. Mm-hmm. And teachers too, we're just looking for ways, you know, I guess to simplify it so that it's, it's approachable for for kids and teachers you know it's funny because i started
2: this podcast with with Darius and it was all about making executive functioning more palatable through metaphors okay. so that's the vast majority of what we do we for each one of these things we we go deep into working memory and inhibitory control we come up with all sorts of imagery to help mm-hmm. you know whether it's You can think of a horse with, you know, the, they call them the blinkers, which help with kind of the inhibitory control. And, and so if people are looking for more metaphors or ways of teaching it, but just giving kids the creativity okay? where you give them, you give them a couple metaphors and you say, okay, now you create your own. They might come up with something totally brilliant Mm. and, you know, more than anything, they're chewing the cud right right they're 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 making sense of it in their own mind and they're feeling what it's like because so many kids are in the back seat of the car Mm -hmm. they're not driving their own cognition yeah in fact many of them like jumped out of the back seat a while ago because they have a sense of learned helplessness and they've given up right but if we can teach them to jump Mm -hmm. into the front seat so they can drive their own cognition because you're right Every kid can learn. And you know what? Every mind is so important because they have its it has its own way of doing things. And there's a genius in every child. and And if we can help them to find that genius quality, then that's when they blossom. That's when their confidence builds because that's the biggest problem. Our education system teaches in such a singular way,
1: mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, That if you, if you're more of a creative learner or you're just, you, you're an out of the box learner, I like to call it. Right. Um, then, then yeah, you're not in the box. And I'm always like, yay, you're not in the <laughs> box. That means we can find something new and brilliant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when we do, I mean, the vast majority of publications that I do have were inspired by students that were out of the box learners. It's like, okay, how can I reach this kid? And then they inspire this new way of teaching that is just brilliant. And Mm. nine out of 10 times, it accommodates more children Mm. than the traditional ways of teaching, because it brings in that imagine, imagination and the play and just a whole nother way of looking at things. You know, I
1: I appreciate that you are talking about working memory and like as a process and as, as something that is, that is growing and living and, and different for, different kids. Right. And because I think sometimes in the traditional sense, people may misunderstand memory, working memory versus rote memorization. Rote memorization is going to be that passive static information that you have to recall versus, you know, our working memory, which is what we need in order in order to move our thinking forward, right. To, to take that information and that learning to move forward. and, And so I appreciate you talking about how it's just something that is working in concert together and it's a process.
2: I'm so glad you said that because we really rely way too much on rote memorization and mm. I hate it. I don't like to use that word very much. Mm. Actually, I really shouldn't use it at all. But I don't like it. I don't okay. like rote memorization. There's nothing about it that is helpful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't teach you how to learn. It's, it's, it's like, right. it's mindless. It's mindless. And, and so many kids are not very good at it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it's, you were talking about the student sitting in the back seat, that to me that's rote memorization. It's right. just, are you able to recall something, but. Do you know how to use it? That's, that's, what's more important to me. Right Can on, right on. Memorize something.
2: Multiplication is our, yes. our biggest problem. Right. In, in, in math education, I have a completely different way of doing it.
0: I, I could spit out those math facts as a third grader. And, but then when we got into more advanced concepts in math class. I always craved to know but why? Right? But there was no one that really wanted to take the time to explain the why to me. I really, really needed to conceptualize yeah. and not just be given a rote task. This is how you use this algorithm to reach the solution. And I just felt just missing out so much on my own mathematical learning as a result um, because I think if there was a different approach could have been Mm. experienced a lot more success.
2: Yeah, if it's more fun. I mean, I like to bring in the body. I like to bring in hand clapping games. I like to bring in songs. I like to bring in dancing, all of those things because then you're accessing all your senses and Mm -hmm. it makes it so incredibly memorable. But you know, that's the other thing I really would love to dive into a little bit here which is how can we make this more fun?
1: You know
2: to develop working memory is a blast. There mm-hmm. are so many games that kids can do. Well like red light green light is one of the best working memory games you can play, but there's so many things like that where you can have kids, you know, standing in a circle and they have to do a it could be anything from like a series of moves. So maybe right. one kid jumps up and down and then the next kid has to jump up and down and then do something different right. and then they do but yeah. That's all, but now they're using their body and that's really fun. You know, whether it's a a rhythm, a rhythm on their body or hand clapping games. Hand clapping games are brilliant for developing working memory. I have a whole series of games that I offer as well, but, you know, making it fun. There are some technology tools out there like Cogmed, which, which claims it's just really expensive. They just came out with a new one and Mm -hmm. the graphics are much better, thank God. But I find that if, you know, looking at CogMed, it's really almost the same as brain HQ or Lumosity, Mm -hmm. which are much cheaper. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like a fraction of the cost. I mean, granted, they they don't have kind of the structure built into it, but it's pretty easy if you want kids to develop that kind of skill of being able to hold more in their mind and manipulate things. But even if you're going to do that kind of work with kids and using something like Lumosity or Brain HQ or mm-hmm. that old game, Simon.
1: Mm-hmm. I just, love
2: Simon. Right? <laughs> I have do it in it. my house. Yeah. <laughs> and my kids but Do love it with it. them. Yeah. Do it with them and teach them how to do it. Right. So, okay. So how do I remember the colors, well, you can use your inner voice or let's yeah. practice using our inner voice and make it our outside voice. Or, you know, let's, let. how could we visualize it? Like, could we associate the colors with animals
0: mm-hmm.
2: or, or what, what's something that they love, you know? Um, so there, there's so many different things that you can do, but I think the most, the biggest mistake we make is not being mindful enough of these activities that are readily yeah. available all around us mm. and getting kids to talk about how they are doing it out loud so mm. let's let's talk about it how did you do that wow i can't believe you just remembered a sequence of four sounds and lights how did you do that mm-hmm. right because again if if mm. if they're not Thinking about how they're thinking, they're not using their metacognition, right? Right. They're not using their metacognition, they're in the back seat again, they're being passive learners. So, in order for people to become active learners, we have to get them comfortable talking about their own cognition because that just then all of a sudden they just picked up the conductor the conductors, what do you call it? His stick, his wand, whatever. And now they're conducting their own cognition instead of letting everybody else do that. Because so often it's so easy for the teacher to take that stick out of their hand, let them have the stick. Even if the orchestra doesn't sound so good, who cares? It kind of, (laughs) that goes back to, did you ever read the book, um, The Phantom Tollbooth? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, right? Yeah. So when when Milo picks up and he conducts the orchestra and the purple sun comes up. Yeah, let that happen. They can they can be a little chaotic with how they conduct because that's how we get our feet wet. That's how we kind of learn how to do it. Okay, so all right, I didn't conduct it so well that time, but maybe the next time I'll conduct it better.
1: Right? Yeah. It's that metacognition piece that comes into play. And, you know, Dr. Warren, she has so many wonderful resources on her YouTube channel. And I love that you share some activities that you do with your students. There's one that I think everyone should check out. It's called memory master, I think it was. yeah you were and that was such a great easy thing that I think teachers can do and parents can do with their students and their children at home to build those visualization skills that Dr. Warren talked about today. and then you added in this thing called distractors, which I thought was really brilliant, right because that's something that spins and then you mm-hmm. and then having them come back after being distracted come back to, remembering that sequence through movement and visualization. So I just um, she has fabulous resources out there for everyone to check out.
2: Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. That's actually a series of executive functioning card games that I came out with. I had them printed and I sold them on Amazon, but it was so complex to Mm -hmm. store them and ship them that I stopped. So unfortunately you can only at this point, get them as digital downloads, but um, they're, they're really good. So Memory Master does really work on working memory. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. The other ones work on working memory as well as inhibitory control and cognitive flexibility, but okay. they're, there's in or out. Which might be my favorite. It's really interesting. It's I'm only. I won't even go into trying to describe them because it's really complex, and I'll lose you without the visual. <laughs> okay. but there's one called Focus <laughs> In or Out No Match Penguin. So instead of matching, it's Ooh. no
1: matching. Oh. <laughs> Ooh.
2: but you can I, also change the game to one match
1: or two match or three match. Okay, yeah. I but, love but, um, that you approach yeah. it through games. I think that's that's a great way to to bring students in.
2: Yeah, yes. and, and there are plenty of games out there. If, if you're like, oh, but I want, I want some games that can help, Rat Attack Cat
1: okay.
0: is a
2: great one. Stare, Stare is all about visualization. Okay. Um, so there, there are a whole bunch of them out there as well as the ones that I have um, that can help. But if you also wanna just like really exercise very specifically uh, working memory, I have a workbook series. Okay. And it's I, I create everything on the research. Instead of creating yeah. something and doing the research, I go deeply into the research and see what they're doing in the research, and then mimic the types of activities that they use. So that's probably one of my more popular ones, which is uh, working memory and hemisphere integration. Okay. But yeah, I have a ton of stuff. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to go into that too much. So.
0: Well, we've talked a lot about. <laughs> games with you. And, um, I did my guest appearance with you in your last podcast episode over the summer, just the importance of games to reach Mm -hmm. children and making things fun. What would you say or some, would you think if you were speaking to classroom teachers, what are some important reminders to give them when you have these children in your classroom? Any, any final pieces of advice any recommendations?
2: Yeah. You know, one thing that I really like is creating stations.
0: Okay.
2: Like like little learning stations, little playful stations. You know, if kids get through their work a little bit faster, that they can go to one of these learning stations to develop these kind of core skills it is such a fun okay. way to do it. Or they can just go there, you know, during recess. Great. But making things as playful as possible Allowing, I know we all like to tap into our inner child and make our classroom what we wanted it to be, but allow, allowing the kids to have the creativity to come up with their own stations and their own ideas and their own materials. So again, when the kids learn about working memory, maybe even asking them to come up with their own activities. My goodness, if they come up with their own little hand clapping games, if they come up with their own little circle games, do you know how empowering that's going to be? All of a sudden, they're like, they're like the creator. They're like the teacher. They're the one that, and then everybody gets excited about it. Uh, it just, I, I don't like to think about education as pedagogy. My doctorate. My finished doctorate is in adult education. And I use that more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I believe that kids do really well with andragogy. They're not blank slates. They are these creative little beings. And the more we facilitate instead of teach, the more they become active learners. That is so powerful. Mm
0: -hmm. But that way... um... So coming up with some interesting, having them come up with their creative ideas. I can envision this happening, especially like the beginning of the day and morning meeting. This would be a great opportunity for students to showcase something that they've come up with to start the day. Really a a great opportunity for building classroom community in addition to working on working memory.
2: Yeah. And and those little brain breaks, let them come up with their own brain breaks. And what, what are brain breaks? They, they absolutely are executive functioning games because it's, it's, it's allowing them to
0: reboot. We all need those for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Erica, thank you so much for taking the time to really get into the importance, visualization, talking about executive function all of the fun game ideas. Um, I think people are just going to be so inspired and and have some great takeaways to bring back to their classrooms or with their own children at home. I, I, you wouldn't believe the notes that I've written down, even if I'm just listening to you, because (laughs) I have to physically write down things to really process. It just helps me understand better. There, anything you want to share with us as we wrap up? For um, our listeners, that things that you know, where can they go to find you? Any helpful resources, anything else you'd like to let us know about? Sure,
2: sure. So, um, you can find me at goodsensorylearning.com. Okay. So, that's where I have a lot of my materials. It's a- anywhere from like a different or multi sensory way of teaching a lesson to, um, cognitive remedial materials or even different activities that strengthen areas of processing like auditory processing or visual processing so that they have the foundational skills. And, and it's, and I try to gamify everything I possibly can so that the kids really, really enjoy it. So they're working on these things and they're developing cognition without even realizing it is is really what I'm going for. And then I, at uh, learning specialist courses, you can find a whole bunch of anything from short workshops, To really comprehensive ways of teaching writing, to teaching spelling, to teaching executive functioning. So if someone wanted to be an executive functioning coach, I have all the materials in coaching and even videos. So I've done videos so that they they go through it themselves and then they can share them with their students. So um, yeah, I'm just trying to get as much really amazing material out there to help people help kids to
0: learn in a fun and fabulous way. Yeah, I really wanna say how much I appreciate that you continuously bring back the importance of multisensory strategies and instruction. I think people still question that at times, but I think you know we in the Orton-Gillingham world and the work that you do, I think really just know the importance of it.
2: That's right, that's right. Well, think about it. We go, let's bring us right back to working memory. Mm -hmm. What are the seeds of working memory? The senses. sensory senses. input.
1: Yep. Right. Sensory
2: input. So there they, you go. Uh, I love that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love that too. We need to put that on a big poster for us all yes. to remember it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, well, thank you so much, everyone. We uh love having Dr. Erica Warren with us today. So be sure to look for the show notes. In the show notes, we'll have links um of how to reach her, more about her screener that she mentioned. And any of the courses that uh, that she offers will also have those linked up in the blog post that accompanies This episode. So look for that at www.togetherinliteracy.com.
1: And Casey, if anybody has a question, how can they reach out to us? Yes, please. We really appreciate all the positive feedback that you guys have been sending in. So thank you so much for that. And as Emily said, we are happy to answer questions either um, here on the podcast or in email. So please send any questions that you have to support at togetherinliteracy.com. Yes, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us.
0: And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at
1: togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping
0: us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.